Welcome to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Mikey are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been, including a serial killer who loves frisbee golf, a zombie linebacker from your favorite football team, a set of fine china plates haunted by ghosts, kinda like that horror film Beauty and the Beast, and a rooster with a secret that he'll never tell. I'm Roxy Polk. I'm Mikey McCaller, and Roxy, the zombie linebacker from your favorite football team down here in the scary basement, no different than the zombie linebackers on my favorite football team up in the world. Minnesota <laughs> Vikings defense could use a revamp. <laughs> no. Truly the scariest thing we've heard this week. <sighs> Not good. Uh, so let's start out, as we always do, with the scariest things that happened to us this week. So, Mikey, what went down in your life outside of the scary basement that spooked you to your bones? Roxy, the video game Forspoken came out this week. Uh-huh, it sure um, did. I don't have a super clear take on this game. I haven't played it. I, I assume I will play it at some point when it shows up for free in one of the various video game subscription sites I, I subscribe to. But man, Roxy, this game is getting taken to the woodshed for its dialogue. <laughs> and the internet's being very mean to it. And I'll tell you why that's scary. Because I'm a writer, I've written things, and you put it out in the world, and you want to feel vulnerable, and just the idea that someday I could write something, and then I put it out, and I spent years on it, and I'm proud of it, and people are just like, OMG, this is the actual dialogue from Forspoken. Like, is so <laughs> viscerally upsetting to me. Like, I saw this, and I, I'm bummed for the Forspoken writers that this is happening to them. Yeah, I have been seeing the internet kind of collectively cringe when, and posting clips from it. A lot of it, though, it just reminds me of, like, yeah, it's just, like, Joss Whedon show writing. Like, this is just, yeah. like, somebody who was writing shows in the 90s and either, like, they've frozen in that perpetual state of will write <laughs> shows like this or they were so influenced by it that that's just their style, I guess. Oh. So, uh, yeah, especially because it's, like, it's a Square Enix game made by, like, a Western studio, or at least not, like, one of their Japanese studios. They were putting out a lot of promotion for it, uh, mm. which some of that promotion itself was very cringe-inducing for folks, <laughs> uh, myself included. Instead of, like, kind of understanding what they had and being like, this isn't going to be a hit, maybe pull back a little so people aren't looking <laughs> at it as much, they're, like, going all in to make sure you know about it and that it's launching. And then, yeah, it's getting raked over coals, which is uh, unfortunate. It it has felt a little bit like they doubled down on it. But I will say, every human being who is a writer and writes dialogue is a beautiful genius who has smarts flowing through their brains and mm -hmm. out their fingertips and into a keyboard and god bless them and god bless the forespoken writers i think they did a great job making something from whence there was nothing <laughs> see that's the thing too it's like unless something is offensive it's like they still made a thing and making a thing is like worthwhile or it's more than there was before you know like you put something out there um so i think there's something to be said for making a thing I love uh, it. I'm proud of them. Roxy, what was making you scared this week? The thing scaring me this week is the existence of a particular dating slash reality show, Mikey. Uh -huh. okay. I don't know if you've heard about this, but it is uh, probably the worst concept I've ever heard for any of these oh, shows ever boy. in the history of humanity. I might love it. I bet it, I'm going to love it. What is it? It is called MILF Manor. Yeah! <laughs> That sounds dope. So, I'm Milf Manor, uh, I don't have to explain this, right? Our viewers are old enough <laughs> to know what MILF means. Um, so the re reality dating show is about these ladies who are all MILFs. You know, they're, they're older, attractive ladies who have had children. But the twist, Mikey, is that the people that they're dating, the other, yes. the men on the island. Are their sons. Yes, they are their sons. Yes! It's their sons. Rules. So it's this like rules. all of these ladies dating each other's sons, and like some of them are like, man, your son's ugly. <laughs> and then <laughs> even more is like, okay, cool, you're going to date someone who is the exact same age as your son. That's really messed up. Not only that, the sons and the mothers are put in apartments together. So if they're trying to hook up, <laughs> the other dude is coming into the apartment when their son is still there. And... <laughs> It's, like, the most awkward, weird thing, and, like, all of these dudes are, like, just barely legal, Mikey. They're, like, 21. 
Like, they just learned how to drink legally. It's incredibly, horrifyingly, like, oh man, I don't know. It's It scared me to my bones that somebody got this concept that far and that it's up there. I don't know how many episodes are out. A couple, probably, maybe and at what, this point, uh, when this podcast. What streaming drops. service or uh, channel is it? It on? is TLC. It's a TLC show. Okay, great. <laughs> Roxy, I'm gonna watch the hell out of this show. Are you kidding me? That sounds awesome. <laughs> I mean, I I'll, think that's funny. Uh, ask for your play-by-play then, because I don't have the strength to watch this, even to just be like. This is a horrifying thing that exists. I need to know the gravity of how bad it is. You know, like watching a bad news report about a bad thing that happened in the world. It's not not car crash terrible for you. I mean, it is. But at the same time, it's like I can't do it because it's also like not actual. Here's my argument. It would I would define it as not car crash terrible because you can look away. The point of car crash Ah, is like, you know, this is going to be bad, but there's nothing I can do. I just got to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I just gotta watch because that's very funny. That's a funny thing. Uh, listen, I think I think uh, uh, conversations about sexuality like should be had more with like adult parents. Like this idea that like my parents aren't sexual beings. They are, Mikey. You if are, you see the editing and the way they have these conversations, if you can even call them that on the show, uh, you might feel differently because it's not really having a conversation. It's just like. Mom's down to fuck and just deal with it, son, who just turned 21. And he, meanwhile, he's you so many just of these have to kids. Deal with it. They're like, God, mom, you're embarrassing me. Like, they, they feel like they're teenagers, even though I know they're supposed to be older. Like, the way they act around their moms on camera, they really do just feel like teens, uh, which makes oh. it more unsettling. Well, like, one I of the moms what? has some, like, weird, long winded line where she's like, uh, I'm blessed by the heavens and just gonna go out and do whatever. And the son's like, God, mom, why are you talking about being blessed? It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> Stop embarrassing me. <laughs> well, I know what my night is going to be. Okay, yep. And speaking of creatures of the night, here comes the demon bot. Demon bot, please save me from talking about Milf Island. Milf Manor. <laughs> Roxy. This is obviously something that brings you existential dread. Therefore, I must insist you continue talking about MILF Manor. But that can wait as first I must know if you watched this week's film from M. Night Shyamalan, Signs from 2002. Uh, Roxy, I did watch Signs. Did you watch Signs? Yes, I watched Signs from 2002. Then you may keep your souls. For now. Okay, bye friends. Oh, goodbye. Uh, I can't call him friend. I just can't do yeah, it, Mikey. See a dude. Yeah, there you go. Isn't it sad when you realize somebody thinks you're their best friend and you don't think they're your best friend? Yeah. I think we just I, had that moment with Demon Bot. Yeah, it's uh it's very awkward and you feel bad, but it's like you feel how you feel. You can't make yourself want to be that person's best friend. That's not how that works. You feel how you feel, and that's why so many hot MILFs are down to... Roxy, what do you say (laughs) for anybody listening up at the cellar basement door? We give a quick plot recap of Signs. Yeah, let's do that. I would love that, Mikey. Graham is a former priest living on a rural farm in Pennsylvania with his family. Asthmatic son Morgan, small daughter Bo, who maybe has prophetic dreams and is weird about water... And his brother Merrill, a failed minor league baseball player. Graham has lost his faith after his wife was killed in a traffic accident six months ago, and so he no longer believes in God. Graham wakes up early today to find his children gone and yelling in the distance with dogs barking in distress. When Graham finds his children, they have discovered a large crop circle that has shown up in their cornfield overnight. Thinking that vandals are responsible for the crop circles, Graham calls the sheriff to report it who tells him that animals in the area, they've been acting a little strangely. When Graham's own family dog starts to act odd, Morgan ends up having to kill one of them when it turns aggressive and tries to attack Bo. As the news reports on more sightings of crop circles all around the world, Graham is determined to keep his kids away from it so they can focus on getting over their mother's death. That's where your focus has to lie. When Graham and Merrill witness an intruder in their field, they run around the house to chase them, but the intruder appears to jump unnaturally high and cannot be caught. Everyone's just freaked out. When the family has an outing, Morgan gets a book about aliens. We learn that Bo has always had these issues with water, where she gets a full glass, takes a sip, leaves it around. She can't stop. Can't help herself. 
Uh, there's a weird army recruiter who Merrill interacts with as he isn't sure what he wants to do with his life now. And when Graham goes to get his son's prescription medication, we learn that even though he's no longer a priest in the church, everyone in town still continues to call him father and treat him like he is, including <laughs> this pharmacist lady who confesses her sins to him and her fears about the encroaching alien menace. The family, while having dinner, sees a man in town, the local veterinarian, and also the man who kills Graham's wife when he fell asleep at the wheel. When the family returns home, they encounter a strange signal over their walkie-talkie baby monitor. The kids are hooked, Meryl joins them, and the family is now working to track the signal. The signal soon becomes clear, and it seems as though two creatures are chattering to each other. Later, the news reports on strange lights hovering over cities around the world. The next day, Graham chases a figure in the cornfield and sees an inhuman leg that terrifies him. When he comes back to the house, Graham does not tell his family what he saw. The next day, Merrill sees a horrifying broadcast of a home movie that features an alien whose skin changes with the environment. It passes by the camera and shows the first actual footage of the alien presence. Graham receives a call from the man who killed his wife that sounds suspicious and like the man might be in trouble. Graham decides to head over there and encounters him in his car. They have a very awkward conversation where the man expresses remorse at killing his wife and causing him to lose his faith. He said that he was just too tired that night, and if he had fallen asleep only ten seconds later, she'd still be alive. It was like fate chose for her to die that night. I don't know how that's supposed to be comforting, but that's what he says. <laughs> he then says it seems like, since it's the end of the world, he's going to leave town, and that the aliens appear to be avoiding water, so he's going to go to the lake. And then right as he drives off, he mentions that he trapped one of them in his pantry and Graham shouldn't let it out. <laughs> Graham is terrified, but he does go into the man's house, and using a knife as a mirror, tries to see under the pantry door to confirm if there is, in fact, an alien inside. An alien claw reaches out from under the door to attack Graham, and Graham instinctively swings the knife in defense and cuts off several of the alien's fingers, and he runs away. Knowing how real this is now, and being unable to deny it any longer, Graham returns home to find his family in tinfoil hats discussing the aliens. They now decide they have to board up the house and prepare for the invasion, choosing to stay home and ride it out. After the family barricades the house, they make a unique dinner where everyone chooses whatever they want to eat, no matter how bizarre. At first, the family is excited, but after the meal has been made, it becomes apparent that Meryl believes this meal could be their last, and that his loss of faith has also fractured his relationship with his son almost entirely. There is an argument, but the family eventually comes together in a group hug, and as they do, the baby monitor radio crackles to life, and they now know the aliens are coming for them. The family is forced into the basement as a last resort to hide, when the house defenses are not enough. But the aliens find a way into the basement through a coal chute, and Meryl and Graham have to fight off the aliens, pushing them back, while Morgan is having a deadly asthma attack as a result of the panic. He does not, to be clear. Did not remember to bring his inhaler. <laughs> Keep that in your pocket, my bud. Graham helps him through the asthma attack until the morning. But man, Morgan's still in bad shape. The next morning, they awake to the radio telling them that the alien ships just left overnight, leaving many <laughs> of their wounded behind. Something appears to have scared off the aliens as many humans fought back and found some way to kill them. Nobody says how, though. Very helpful. They also mention that the aliens secrete toxins and seem to be more interested in harvesting humans than taking over the planet or doing anything else. Just as the family thinks they're safe, however, the alien who was previously in the pantry and is missing fingers from Graham's attack earlier has entered the house and grabbed Morgan as a hostage, threatening to poison him. In this moment, all the flashbacks that we've gotten of Graham's wife's death start to make sense. She told Graham to tell Meryl to, quote, swing away. Something Graham thought was just neurons in her brains firing off and confusing a memory of a baseball game for reality in her final moments. However, those words and Merrill's placement of his record-breaking bat on the wall make it clear to Graham that his wife was talking somehow about this moment. Graham tells Merrill to swing away at the alien right as it releases poison to kill Morgan. And then drops the boy as Merrill goes to town wailing on this alien with his baseball bat. The alien is knocked into furniture that has the dozens and dozens of glasses of water that Bo left around. And as the water splashes on it, it's revealed that it is this that was the alien's weakness. Water. 
<laughs> so the alien is melted to death by the water and further beat to death by Meryl. <laughs> Graham takes Morgan and Bo outside so he can try and give him fresh air to breathe and his medication. The asthma actually closed his lungs, which caused him to not breathe any of the poison. So he survives. Yeah. It seems like a lot of fate intervening here somehow, I guess, and Graham attributes this to a miracle from a higher power. God. Months later, we get a look at the family having recovered from this traumatic situation. Everyone seems happy. The aliens haven't come back. And Graham is back at the church, having found his faith in God once again. That's the movie Signs, Roxy. That is the movie Signs from 2002. Can I ask you one big question about this movie? Yeah, sure. Would you have found this explanation of your wife died to save you from this specific incident would you have found this comforting uh no i would not me either it's it's awful i was like it still sucks to lose your wife like what she and what so she could deliver a message from the beyond like right what (laughs) this movie treats fate and coincidences as though like reality were some sort of Christopher Nolan like clockwork gear intersecting like all of these things have to happen so that we are getting these specific things to keep us to to allow us to survive the specific alien attack Mm -hmm. but like I don't know it just feels like what my my wife's death was the key to a puzzle (laughs) yeah it's really not satisfying It's not satisfying at all. I hate it because it also just makes it like, okay, so she was useless except to just say this vague thing that he like (laughs) ended up interpreting that way and could have not done it. And also like fate and coincidence don't feel like the two things that are diametrically opposed here. Like it seems to be taking out the whole point of, I don't know, intervention or free will that you could do anything to affect either of these things, whether it be fate or coincidence. It seems like you just wait for any either of those things to happen to you and you can't do anything else is what it feels like in a way, which I do not right. like. Um, and so d- the daughter was weird about water ever since she was born. So she had her weird water thing. And then mm-hmm. the, it's like pieces of a puzzle where each member of the family contributes to being able to survive <laughs> right. the alien attack. Um, although I guess in a way, like Graham, all he does is just take morgan outside like he doesn't really have a piece to the puzzle to add to <laughs> well, it Mor- when you look at morgan's whole court. asthma thing was like that was the fate that he was able to survive the gassing from the yeah alien. but like okay here's my thing this is the okay. exact same problem i had with m night Shyamalan in the sixth sense it was like we have this emotional complex story between a man and his wife and it's solved by like a plot mechanic it's the opposite of how i think stories should work and this movie is plot mechanics the story like it's all like it's not about, like, dealing with uh, the grief of losing your person. It's about, like, did my person's death mean anything? And the answer is yes, because she gave advice on how to survive this. It's not, like, dealing with the emotional problem of it. It's, like, it's it's got this, like, check mark of, like, okay, here is the answer. And there's, like, no... It's a very emotionless movie. Like, both in terms I'd of say how it they is deal and with it that. isn't. Because it's just kind of like he surrenders his emotions to either fate or God. And then it feels like, yeah, he's not having this personal interpretation of it in a way. Because he is kind of just choosing to see it as one way or the other. Instead of thinking about, like, well, how do I actually feel about this, like, outside of that? Like, why does it have to be judged between one of those two metrics? Um yeah. And I mean, maybe it's just because I am not a faith type of person. So it just feels so like you're giving up agency or not taking responsibility for your own actions or your own, uh, I don't know, progression through life in this way where it's just like, <laughs> okay, yeah, the only way I can make sense of my wife's death. Like when M. Night Shyamalan, who is playing the guy who ran over the wife, <laughs> yeah. gives this speech about how like, yeah, if I'd fallen asleep like 10 seconds later, I wouldn't have killed her. It's like fate wanted me to kill her. And I was like, that's bullshit and a really stupid way to rationalize <laughs> that. And also, like, if it is, then God is awful. Like, if that's supposed right. to be part of the plan, fuck you. Like, that's stupid. Yeah. Uh, you can deliver can that we- message. Bo has, like, prophetic dreams or something also, maybe. <laughs> Give her a hint about having Meryl swing away. Like, anything. Okay, Roxy, I wrote this down uh, very early in the movie. Speaking of Bo and her prophetic dreams, I mm-hmm. wrote it down very early. Like, are these children angels? 
Yeah, it feels like Bo in particular, too, is very angelic. They have these, like, cherubic faces. They're of another world. (laughs) And then, like, when they are attacked by their family dog and the little boy has to kill it, they're just, like, watching. And they're, like, sitting he's like, Dad, I... He was gonna attack Bo. Like they're not emotional. Like he's a, yeah. I, can't I can hear see them. like it's just the like, kids it's being an insane in shock. reaction to that. I, I could see them being in shock. Like especially Bo. Like she's so frozen. She I don't even know if she says anything. But she's just like curled up, hiding in this little play thing. And like when he picks her up, she's so small and kind of stays balled up mm-hmm. uh, instead of kind of like you know relaxing to where a parent would normally carry a child. Um, yeah. Where it feels like she's very but traumatized. They don't scream and the boy when he first attack. You know what I mean? Like there's no there's no screaming, and it's almost this yeah. through line through the movie where it almost feels like M Night Shyamalan is afraid to direct his actors to have big emotions. Yeah, because like you see that he stabbed the dog with the poker from the stove, which in order to get that, he would have to go some distance to get it and then hit the dog mm-hmm. with it. So you would assume there would be scrambling or screaming or yelling that would accompany it, but then you don't really get like. Not only do you not see it, all you see is the aftermath. I feel like, yeah, they don't kind of extrapolate on what that scene would have entailed. Because, like, a kid killing their family dog, who they were very concerned about just moments ago, is huge. It's a horrifying moment. It's huge. Your dog attacks you, you fucking scream. Like, I don't mind them necessarily being in shock afterwards. But when it first happens, you're like, oh, God, what have I done? I killed Rufus, my favorite dog. And also, there's two of them. He was a puppy. So, like, one of them went berserk, and then the other one, they're just like, go tie it up outside, I guess. Uh Uh-huh. And just like, yeah, then it's an afterthought, and later they forget about it, and the aliens kill it off screen. Um, (laughs) One went crazy and one did. Here's the other thing that, like, makes me think that, like, this children is part, it's some sort of direction that's happening. Because Mel Gibson is giving the exact same performance in this movie that... Bruce Willis gives in both The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. It's like this quiet, stilted. And the moment that I was like, this is a problem, is when they shift from they have the dinner scene and then they start hearing the aliens bopping around and they've got to go to the basement. When they're shifting to the basement, he puts all of the, the family is all downstairs and Mel Gibson does this weird, like, he's, he walks down the steps. And like, I wouldn't mind them cutting to the basement, but they have this shot of Mel Gibson walking down the steps And he's like, it's like a dad who's frustrated that he has to go to a PTA meeting. You know, he's just like walking down. He's like, it fucking sucks. And it's like, it's it's such an intense moment. It's like these creatures are attacking and you're pulling your family to safety. And he's just like kind of out of it. So I was like, oh, I think M. Night Shyamalan might just be afraid to direct intensity. It's like stoicism is his go-to. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, I don't know. Sometimes when he will have his actors do kind of more exaggerated emotions, like Mel Gibson cries or something, I feel like that kind of gets me. It elicits mm. that emotion of like, uh-oh, dad's crying. This is really serious. <laughs> uh, so I feel like stuff like that is pretty good. But overall, yeah, all of the characters are relatively understated. I think Mary, maybe Meryl has the most kind of intensity you get no actually you know who had the most intensity that fucking mm. recruiter that he talks to yeah that guy that is cool. so weird what was the direction he's like <laughs> looking straight ahead not moving but his mouth is like so strange the way he's articulating words and like his <laughs> eyes are bugging out he's so intense talking about military tactics and what the aliens would be doing it's a ground assault whatever the fuck. i didn't notice him oh. he you need to go he back was and an watch alien that in scene. Disguise. Uh, say what he was an alien in disguise. Oh, okay. You know, that would make so much more sense if he was based on that performance. <laughs> um, we got to talk about that scene, uh, another aspect of that scene that fundamentally does not make sense. Okay. Which way? I don't care how good of a power swinger you are in baseball. You don't get even to the level of the minor leagues without listening to your fucking coach who tells you, you do not swing at every pitch. Mikey, it felt wrong to swing because God told him so. It's the dumbest thing I've ever (laughs) seen in a movie. It's the dumbest thing in a movie. What do you mean it felt wrong not to swing? Yeah, and the fact is it was so bad that you got fired for it. I feel like you could kind of put up with that for a bit to be like, dude, okay, just learn it. No, just do it. 
Just learn it. Please take the direction I'm giving you. I can't even imagine how many chances they gave him before it got so bad he had to be fired for it. Here's the thing. It would happen two times in uh, high school level baseball that they would say, hey, when the pitches are obviously bad, don't swing. You say either say, okay, or you say, no, I it feels wrong not to swing. And you do it twice and then you're off the team. Like if you don't listen to the coach, you're off the team. I Losing my mind. There was a, uh, it happened in the Minnesota Vikings, who I, I do again want to tell you, the linebackers are all zombies. The Minnesota Vikings, maybe two years ago, there was a story going around that the play that was called, the players were, uh, it was called freelancing. Okay. The quarterbacks were freelancing. And they were like, if that's true, those players need to be cut and the coach needs to be fired. If the players are that adamantly, like, not listening to their coach, they don't function on a team. Yeah, what is the point of even being in a team then at that point? You're just doing your solo career on a team sport. (laughs) Well, imagine if they were just like, it felt wrong not to uh, play man coverage when you call zone. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Uh, I will say some of the better parts of this movie, uh, there are a lot of really good camera shot choices mm. and some very interesting things that they choose to do with those choices, like with the attack in the basement. You don't mm-hmm. see the alien. You don't even see the brothers fighting the alien who has grabbed the sun. We basically see the alien put his hand on the sun's shoulder yeah. and then they spring into action and it's like the camera falls on the floor. And so you mm-hmm. hear a lot of scuffling there's it's only lit by a uh flashlight we see Bo like in the corner against the wall like kind of edging mm-hmm. back but you can only kind of like see her feet looking scared and you just hear the shuffling and yelling things like that that i think are very interesting no it's very it's a cool movie it's like good movie making yeah the way that they um that we see like that they're like really uh startling jump cuts to like the alien on the roof watching them that, okay uh, so there are still parts of this movie that give me chills like even just thinking yeah. about that i kind of like my body had a reaction to be like oh yeah uh, it's very still, scary hold up like when he is having a discussion with his daughter on the bed and they're saying like oh i heard you like you talk to mom sometimes when you're alone does she answer you and he's like no and she's like me neither and then he looks over after they're having this heartfelt <laughs> sad conversation there's yeah. just like an a there's a silhouette standing on the mm-hmm. roof which should not be up there and it just cuts away and like the music cues and like the music in this game game <laughs> in this movie uh, accentuate things so well, it makes it, like, so much more effective, too. And it's not, mm-hmm. like, in a jump scare sort of way. It just, like, heightens and kind of, like, gives you a sense of emotion in a way that I feel like a lot of other horror movies don't do as effectively. So, like, seeing yeah. that fucking scared the shit out of me. That is interesting that, like, because they're really not jump scares, I wouldn't say, but they, like, kind of make me feel the way jump scares do. Yeah, it's more like how you would observe it in real life instead of, like, a movie telling you to be scared of this because here's a big loud noise that wouldn't exist in this situation. Because, like, that thing is outside. It's distant, but also kind of close. There's a wall between it, so you wouldn't hear, like, any sort of noise if it was going to make it. Mm -hmm. But, like, most jump scares don't make sense for whatever is happening on screen, usually, anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's more like having this cut, just like a jarring cut, to kind of like put you into the mindset of the character better, instead of just being like, hey, you, the audience, be scared by mm-hmm. this, like a jump scare yeah. would do. It, it does feel very like, that I think is times when this like, pulled down intensity pays off. Because of, yeah. like, as we've seen Mel Gibson having these like weird, small, emotion-free conversations with his daughter and then it smashes to an alien like the content of that scene is cool enough and scary enough that it doesn't need much more beyond yeah so then the second one that really gets me is the home video that meryl watches like he has trapped himself in this closet and is watching it and like joaquin phoenix's performance the way you were just like there with him watching it as he's like on the edge of his seat leading close to watch this grainy film shot on a home video camera from like someone in spain or like a spanish-speaking country um where it just like walks across really briefly and Mm -hmm. like the way he reacts to it the way the music is like rising in conjunction with it like you feel that so intensely like you're him witnessing it for real and it still got me even after like i've seen this movie several times and i'm 
you know, usually pretty used to this kind of stuff, but it it's just that effective. Yeah. I, you know what? I almost want to describe it as, like, if jump scares are, like, bite-size candy bars, uh, these are, like, fine gourmet chocolates. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they, yeah. these are, st- I think these are still jump scares, but they're, like, designed in such a way that, like, they don't feel fake Cheap. or manufactured. They yeah. feel just, like, observed. And, like, the things yes. that are happening are startling, as opposed to the movie working really hard to like the guy jumps out in a way that like a guy wouldn't jump out you know what i mean yeah and here's like a scream sound effect or like some loud bang <laughs> okay that scared you sure or right? a cat and yeah then you turn around and then the actual killer yeah where it's like not even an actual scare where it's a fake out jump scare um another one that i think is still very effective didn't get me the same way but still pretty got me like the alien leg in the cornfield mm. when like mel gibson is by himself walking out there he knows something's following him. He turns around and it's disappearing into the cornfield behind him. And you just see like a fragment of a leg. And mm-hmm. up until this point, he's been kind of like denying that it exists and being like, no, it's not real or there's no proof, whatever. Like he is in denial about it. He sees that is so upset by it. He runs all the way home and then doesn't even tell his family because either mm-hmm. he's so upset and doesn't know how to articulate it and admitting it to them means it's real or mm-hmm. like he uh is trying to spare them of how scary it is i'm not mm-hmm. sure but it's it's very well shot very well cut and uh very spooky <laughs> the the big jumps again not stoked to call it a jump scare but the big scare moment that i remember very differently as a child i guess <laughs> i might have been a teenager when i saw this movie um pantry the moment where mel gibson is using the knife to mm-hmm. look under the pantry door mm mm-hmm. mhm the alien hand, we get just like a shot of an alien hand coming out, and then we get a shot of Mel Gibson fumbling with the knife, and then we get the knife cutting off the alien fingers, right? Yeah. When I first saw this movie, I could have sworn that the alien grabbed the knife and cut off Mel Gibson's. Oh, interesting. I was like, okay. Like, I would have put $1,000 on it. In the way that, like, I know this has been said about the movie Psycho, that people, like, watch the shower scene, they're like, I know I saw the knife stab her, and you actually don't. Mm-hmm. Like, I was so convinced that was what happened. And I remember having, like, a hard time with the movie's timeline because of that. Because throughout this oh. movie, we're getting little um, flashbacks to uh, Mel Gibson's wife's car accident that are kind of, like, uh, not ascent- not super clear. Like, they become clear now I'm now that I'm not an idiot. I can see that he's wearing his priest collar and clearly <laughs> this is in the past. But, like, because of that, and then we also saw, or, or I saw... The alien cut off Mel Gibson's fingers, and then he goes home, and he still has fingers. I'm like, oh, well, that must happen later, so this movie must be out of order. This movie became memento to me. Oh, that's so bizarre, Mikey. I know. It's just like in your memory, your remembrance of yeah. it? Okay. Huh. And watching I, it this so, time, it was very clear what happened. <laughs> so I kind of forgot something from that part, but not quite as extreme as yours. I thought he actually reflected and saw the alien. I thought mm. that is where, like, he saw it for the first time, like, its face or something. But he reflects it and doesn't see anything. He does it, like, twice yeah. and doesn't see it. And this, it's only until the claws come out is when it... And also, like, what is the alien going to do? I guess it doesn't know what a knife is, maybe. Uh, but, like, what's, <laughs> what's the end game here? Like, no, they you know somebody's knives. there. That was you... part of their recon, was figuring out what kind of uh, tools they use that could be uh, used to cut off fingers. Yeah, that's another thing, too. And, like, when I was looking up, I don't know, I guess, secrets or little Easter eggs or things, other info for this movie, like, doing some cursory research on. Like, people have a lot of different theories for what the aliens are, and then people spend a lot of time actually breaking down what they think could be the motivation or anything, because they're like, why oh. do they have problems opening doors? They did, like, interstellar <laughs> travel, but they can't open doors, but yet they, yet they can, like, jump on top of buildings and have, like, a lot of strength to, like, try and break down a door or something. Mm-hmm. And, like, they don't have weapons. And I think the book that the little boy has talks about how, like, oh, they come, when they come and invade, they won't use, like, big weapons because that might provoke an attack from us that would be, like, using our nukes. And if they want right. the planet or if they don't want to die, they won't want to use, they won't want to force us to use the nukes. So it'll be, like, a ground guerrilla assault or something, um, which was like, okay, so I guess, yeah, the book is d- guessing that right. But like, they don't even have weapons. We know that they have some sort of poison. Um, we don't know what their that motivation co- is, but we hear briefly on the uh, radio that like, instead of stealing resources or anything, 
what they were focused on was taking humans. They were, like, harvesting humans, but they were also poisoning them, so they're, like, killing them and then taking the corpses. Some of them are alive, maybe. I don't know. We're we're a big factory And then, yeah, they realize that water... So that's another thing, too. Like, the planet is made up mostly of water. Um, (laughs) Humans are made up mostly of water. The air has water in it to a degree. (laughs) So you'd think if they can travel through interstellar space, they would know that and not come here. But it's kind of like they're landing in places where there's a lot of land, where they're maybe Mm -hmm. not anticipating water. And if the whole idea was just a raid to, like, break in, take a bunch of, I don't know, specimens and then leave, like, I guess that I could be fine with that or they come to a planet most me mostly made out of the thing that will kill them um and expect to not uh, it's like how we go into diamond mines roxy like oh okay we can't breathe caves (laughs) it's very dangerous Uh we're probably gonna get hurt but there's beautiful little diamonds in there and we want to yeah so like that's that's something that like people have talked about i'm like yeah then another one is like oh they're demons actually and like the water was holy Mm. water and that's why it burned them (laughs) Probably um, fucking was. <laughs> Which is this like, movie's reaction to faith uh, is so stupid. <laughs> yeah, like that's something where, as a kid, I didn't really have the media literacy or like n- knowledge about just like that sort of idea in general because religion was never a part of my life growing up. Mm. Um, so seeing this, I wasn't thinking about like even though it's explicitly stated about like faith and coincidence like they're talking about god and religion but i didn't remember Mm. that at all from seeing this as a kid and then when i was watching i was like oh that's what it's all about oh (laughs) so it made me like it like way less on this run through even though there's like a lot of things i like about the movie that we've gone over and a lot of like competent filmmaking and just like in general i mean i know we were talking about like dialogue not being super great and i Mm. wrote this movie and i'd say he should have had more editors helping him with the dialogue (laughs) Because a lot of it reads, like, awkward in a way where it should maybe for the scene, and then other times awkward in a way where it's like, oh, you need another pass at that. I don't think that's right. getting across what you need to get across. Or, hey, you're hitting us over the head with the faith and coincidence thing. Maybe reel it back a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Trust your audience um, a little bit, maybe. I, I will say this movie has some of the funniest jokes I've seen in a Scary Basement movie. <laughs> like I can see that. Like, Mel Gibson chasing the alien outside, oh, saying, like, uh-huh. I am I am going insane <laughs> with rage. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, he he's funny. not used to cursing, because he's a priest, yeah. and then when he's trying to do it. But also, hey, a theory. Could that scene have been M. Night doing his best to direct Mel Gibson to show intensity? Maybe. It is, it is that, very funny. <laughs> is that performance much different than Mark Wahlberg's performance when he's supposedly serious in the plant movie? When that lady is accusing <laughs> him of trying no. to kill him. Do you know what I'm talking about? That, like, no, meme video? Never. What do you mean? <laughs> Whatever the fuck so he's like, you're trying to kill me. He's like, no, no. ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that might just be the style. Maybe, yeah. There is one other little thing about it that I didn't notice this. This was somebody else noticing it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's an interesting idea. Um, so the radio only works to give them a clue about the aliens when all the family is together. Hmm. Like, when they're first reaching up on top of the car to hear it. It isn't until, like, the entire family is helping them up on the roof, where, like, Mm -hmm. Mel Gibson is finally like, okay, whatever, I don't believe this, but it'll help you, is when Hmm. it, like, starts working. And then again, when they're at the dinner table after they have the big fight about it being, like, their last supper together and stuff. It isn't until, like, the kids go and hug him, and then Meryl is just, like, the brother is over there kind of being, like, moved by it, but not moving over. Then Mel Gibson, like, grabs him and pulls him in. Yeah. Um, And so it's not until, like, the four of them are embracing that then the radio crackles again. So it's supposed to be Mm -hmm. about, like, the family connecting to, I don't know, defeat the thing in front of them or to uh, overcome the obstacle, which it's, like... That's a really cool little detail that he added there, but I feel like it gets muddled with some of the other stuff with it being right. about, like, it's not really about your family choosing to do it, it's about God doing this or whatever. <laughs> your your faith in a higher power instead of the faith in the people around you, which is what I was like, mm-hmm. I think my problem with the way this movie handles faith is kind of summed up in a big problem I had with the, like, the book that the little boy is carrying around that is kind of their guide to what the aliens are doing. Yeah, right? where it's like, how would you know? But okay, yeah. <laughs> it, well, exactly. How does the author of this book know that how these aliens work? And then one line that comes from this book, 
Morgan tells them there are two reasons the aliens could be here. Exploration, looking to adventure and learn more about the universe through experience, or they need our resources. And I listened to that, and I said, fucking no! There's not two reasons! Yeah. There are infinite reasons! Yeah, you're they just judging it by human standards. Yeah, like what we humans We probably do. won't comprehend their reasons for being here. I remember reading Stephen Hawking one time talking about, like, the danger from aliens coming to visit our planet isn't that they're going to have rays and want to take over because those are human concepts. The danger is their biology will be so different, they'll probably give us some sort of fucked up disease. Yeah, like, <laughs> like we talked a bit about this in um, Annihilation, how it's like, hmm. yeah, it's very egocentric and like hubris to think that you would understand how a completely different civilization that has evolved and changed in a completely different way from you would be exactly the same like why would it be exactly a lot of human history is based on conquering other i guess tribal structures is the more basic <laughs> way to put it where just like larger civilizations will sometimes just uh steamroll smaller ones and take whatever the fuck they want that's a human thing to do these other species couldn't, maybe they don't care about that at all, or they're so, f like, far evolved that something like that would never even occur to them, so why would they ever interact with people like that? And, like, Their wants yeah. and needs would be so foreign exactly. to us. Exactly. Like, thinking that you know what it is and that it can only be one of two things, which is, like, just the small things that our human brains can comprehend based on human history and how we've interacted mm -hmm. in these ways. It's just so, so small-minded and short-sighted small. and yeah. boring. It's like, yeah, And that's what? why... <laughs> The problem that this movie has thinking about how aliens could function is the same way it struggles with faith mm -hmm. in that it's either God is doing everything and is directing us and therefore has made Mel Gibson's wife into uh, a ticket that you can redeem for one free get out of alien murder free. <laughs> like, it's not, that's not the way God works if he exists. It's not, it's yeah, like it's this not binary of like a, such a complex idea that like, I, I feel like just tell a fun alien story. Yeah, yeah. It's trying to do many things at once. And I, for me, and I think for you, Mike, it sounds like it did not hit everything it was trying to do at once, which is like, yeah, you, you need to kind of like pick a lane for it. You can add a lot of more complicated ideas in this way and layer them in and have them work if if it's more cohesive but when you're dealing with someone something as amorphous as coincidence and faith like that's just got to be the whole thing like trying to layer in these other things about it like with the alien invasion with like <laughs> thinking about yeah what's their biology what's their plan what's their motivation um and then the movie like doesn't even care about that because it's vaguely kind of said on that radio broadcast at the end and i think there is something to be said about leaving your like, quote-unquote, monster to be enigmatic and mysterious. And like we I were saying, like it's much more interesting it, yeah. if we don't know what it is, but then it's like the movie telling you you know what it is by being like, mm -hmm. it was a raid. They were just coming to steal us. So it's like, okay, <laughs> so that's all it is. And then, okay, so we didn't talk about this yet, but the CGI in this movie, in the final scene with the alien, is so dated and bad, <laughs> unfortunately, that it kind of made it even further, like, kind of <laughs> ruined for me in a way. Maybe ruined is too aggressive of a term. Um, That's interesting like, because I had the exact opposite reaction. I remember hearing a bunch of people saying that the CGI did not age well, and then when we got to the alien, I was like... Oh, so when good. it is in shadow and they're making yeah, it, it more shadow, yeah. more uh, of a shape, I think it works really well. But then the minute that it is thrown into the sunlight and the water hits it for the first time, it looks You're so right. yes. bad. Um, that does, yeah, that is a PlayStation 2 game. Yes, exactly. And like, I, I like to be able to try, graphics are not a big thing for me in video games or whatever, but like when you're dealing with like real people and stuff, like a practical effect would have been so much better. Just like a guy in a suit would have been better than that. That would have been cool. And I think it did just stick out and I'd like to try and look past it, but some of this stuff is so dated. Like when we were watching Cursed, we talked about this too, where like they mm -hmm. replaced all this really good practical effect work with shitty cgi that dates the movie and it just doesn't hold up for you know the rest of film history uh unfortunately yeah, and this vic this movie is a victim of that uh, mm -hmm. particularly with that final scene is the the, the, the other thing i do want to say about this final scene though is that uh two things that are very funny to me number mm -hmm. one 
the ex-wife or uh, the ex-wife she's ex in that she's no longer a wife (laughs) or anything um her final advice to meryl is swing away that would have been the reaction anyway like it's not it's not an out of the box thought to an alien is about to kill this little boy i should attack yeah him. Like, there's like a baseball a bat of a baseball a player yeah like even people who aren't baseball players have like bats <laughs> as home protection yeah. against burglars so like of course you'd think to do that against a home intruder who happens to be an alien especially when he doesn't appear to be holding any weapons he just has like a weird poison gland or something <laughs> Um, but the other thing that I truly loved, and this is something that, like, you can only find if you read the uh, script to signs. Oh. Uh, that last alien that is missing his fingers that Meryl beats to death. Mm-hmm. That alien's husband, we, in the original draft, we get a scene, oh. and that alien's husband stops oh. believing in God. Oh, okay. And that was, an, and they were an alien reverend. Okay. And then because that's he stopped be. believing, that's why he had to die by human baseball bat. <laughs> Yeah. What what do we think is like the primal fear? Is I mean we've talked about how this movie is like talking about God a lot, but like there are moments of this movie that are genuinely scary. Like what is hitting us deep that is making it scary? I'm not sure I quite know. What do you think? I think it's because again it's muddled. Like the alien stuff is scary, but that's not like really what the theme is about. The theme is about this man losing faith in God, like someone who has completely devoted his entire profession and life to the belief in god then losing it uh Mm -hmm. so he's like invested in a way that like even you know anybody else like any regular churchgoer is not going to be as invested as he is because it's literally like his entire life essentially um so it's more about just like this man's crisis of faith not and then the aliens force him to confront that i guess as opposed to like the aliens themselves being the threat in that way, but then, like we were saying, a lot of these scares and little bits here and there are very effective, still even to this day, mm-hmm. I think. Like, that, the alien walking across the camera with the CGI there, that worked, that didn't look dated, so hey, mm-hmm. maybe it was a guy in a suit, though, too, who knows. <laughs> well, because I'm just trying to think about, like, if you're trying to make a movie that is tapping into, like, a deep fear that people have, and mm-hmm. it is a frightening concept to say that, like, we're alone in the universe. Like, that is very frightening. So it's like, what is the dramatization of that? And so I was trying to think about, like, if the aliens are, like, are taking people and, like, early in the movie, they take Meryl. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and then it's like Mel Gibson is tangibly alone. Like, he yeah. he is losing his people that surround him and finding out that he is alone in the universe. And if the goal is, like, to talk about how, like, we're never alone, if we have faith then it becomes yeah. about like mel gibson like giving himself over to the aliens yeah and that's it when feels he very is rewarded with his people passive too because like mel gibson just tells his brother to do a thing and then he just takes his son outside like this theoretical version yeah. where you're talking about how if meryl got kidnapped one if the, what if then mel gibson actually had to fucking do a thing and like go save him right and then like have it be reaffirmed through his action and belief in that way I'm almost kind of liking this movie better if he stays a pastor and we see his community and people, like, caring about him and loving him and supporting him. And so, like, we go from, like, then the terror is the alien starts taking these people and then Mel Gibson feels, again, tangibly alone in the universe. Like, if that's the fear that we're hitting on, like, that's a scary concept to deal with. I don't know about all this uh, coincidence. Yeah, because, like, with the the alien threat and... In and of themselves, you know, there's fear of the unknown, there's mm-hmm. fear of a lack of agency, there's fear of a lo- lack of, like, I mean, fear of the unknown and fear of a lack of knowledge is basically the exact same thing. <laughs> but, like, yeah, you are being attacked by this thing that you have never seen before, you cannot comprehend what it wants, you can only kind of guess using your limited human experience and what you've seen from their actions so far. And then, like, what what do you do with that then? What What's the next move after they try to get you? Like, they're just trying to survive. They think maybe the world could be ending by the time they go into the basement. And then our characters fall asleep and wake up and it's like, oh, the aliens left, actually. It's not actually that, <laughs> that big of a deal. Uh, and then eventually we funny. find out it's because of the water or because they uh, <laughs> took however many people they needed and just scrammed. 
it's such a like it's like the movie is just like false alarm yeah and the thing <laughs> is too fine. is <laughs> the that the world were, stakes are gone yeah they were in such a rush to leave that they left behind their injured like the one that we see who like came for personal revenge for losing his fingers i guess instead of trying to like not <laughs> die on this alien world like that's his a people great point him. why is it that alien yeah, just because he's like, I'm going to come back for revenge because you cut off my fingers and I have nothing left to lose, I guess, because his people abandoned him. That's so dumb. But so now we'll have, like, proof of the aliens and alien corpses to, like, figure things out about them, I guess. Uh, yeah. So now it's, like, kind of changed the world in this way. Uh, but again, the movie isn't interested in exploring that. It's not interested in exploring the implications of, oh, this was a raiding party? So they could, like, get human bodies or corpses to understand how to kill us better and then come back later and do that. Because the kid's book said, oh, it would be in hundreds, maybe thousands of years. You don't know that. They could have, like, some sort of faster than light travel or warp travel or just some technology you do not understand and we can't even try and figure out that would allow them to just be here in a day after this. We don't know. Uh, But the movie isn't concerned with that. It's like, okay, we told the... uh, Mel Mel Gibson got his faith back, and that's it. So, movie over. (laughs) Which I guess, because of that, you're led to believe then, yeah, that's the the only thing that matters about the movie, I guess. It starts with him waking up Mm -hmm. without his collar, then ends with him waking up putting on his collar. And And thank God his wife died for that. (laughs) I guess it's worth it. Worth it. Great. Worth it. He has to get a new wife, so in case he loses his faith again, (laughs) he'll be able to get it back. (laughs) I love you just buy like a pack of four wives just in case (laughs) (laughs) something bad happens. Emergency. (sighs) So, Mikey, was there anything else you you wanted to say about signs? No, never. All right. Uh, So, we have a rating system down here in the scary basement using severed thumbs. And we have a uh, basket over here for if you want to do more than two thumbs or need to have these over here that you got to snip in half. So, Mikey, Mm -hmm. what was your rating for signs? What did you give it? Damn, I still gave it 3.5. Okay. (laughs) Listen, there are exactly enough dumb things in this movie for me to say that in the end, this movie is dumb. Yeah. But it's so good when it's It's good. It's very enjoyable. I will say, yeah, this is an enjoyable movie, no matter how much we were griping about any nitty gritty in it. Like, it's an enjoyable movie. I appreciated rewatching it, you know, like. But also, Roxy, Mm -hmm. when it's dumb, it's so dumb. It really is, And I just sent you a link. It's a clip from Community. Are you? I don't know how to... I have a rule about being constructive, so I can't ask any questions right now because all of the questions that I have right now are rhetorical and they end with the word idiot. Do you know what a rhetorical... No, of course you know what that is. You're an idiot. I'm sorry. I am so sorry, but you're so stupid. You have no idea. And you're the only one who has no idea because guess why? Don't answer that, you'll get it wrong. Oh, so dumb. You're just a dumb little man who tries to destroy this school every minute. I am sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, oh, it's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but Oh, so stupid. Such a dummy. This moment from Community is exactly how I feel about the movie signs. You're so dumb. I'm so sorry. I just want to be constructive. You're so dumb, and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Shh, it's okay. It's okay. So dumb. <laughs> so stupid. So this is a M. Night Shyamalan to us or you to M. Night Shyamalan's movie This is me signs. to M. Night Shyamalan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's your rating it's a, of this It's movie, still 3.5, though. Um, I went a bit lower. I gave it a 2.5. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. two of my own thumbs and one of these halves from the box. I guess I'll take the other half from your 3.5. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll just split a thumb. There we go. So I like a lot of things about the craft with which this movie was made. And like I said, some of those moments that when it hits, it's good enough to make me like forget about a lot of this stuff. Bad CGI that dates it. Unfortunate theming. Totally not for me. So I understand if like that, you know, it's going to hit a lot stronger for a lot of other folks. A lot of the writing and the dialogue, it can make you kind of cringe a little or just like sort of take you out of it to be like, yes, a writer wrote that instead of a character saying it. Mm hmm. And so it could have dealt with a few more passes. But ultimately, I think it's relatively effective. And I did enjoy this rewatch. Uh, so I still gave it like, you know, a half score. Like, that's that's pretty decent, I think. Yeah, 
fail. It would fail in school. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'd give it a C if I was writing it in school. I'd give it a C. Okay. It's a passing grade, but uh, yeah. just just above it. Uh, so, Mikey, do you have a question for me? I do. Roxy, in this movie, we see the family have what I have dubbed their signs meal, where okay. it's your last night alive. You, Whatever you want to eat, you can have, darling. You want spaghetti. You want chicken. You want mashed potatoes and waffles. Old Mel Gibson needs a cheeseburger. Roxy, what would be your signs meal? Your last big meal that you can have all to yourself. Doesn't matter whether this meal fits together in any way. Uh, So mine actually ended up kind of fitting together, I guess, just Mm. because my mom does this particular kind of like home cooked spread that is just so good. It's like this really neat, lean, delicious barbecue chicken with mashed potatoes and carrots that are like seasoned this really good way. Corn Mm. and green beans. And it's just like it works together. It's kind of like a Thanksgiving meal in a way where you just get like a little bite of each thing for each Mm -hmm. mouthful of it. And it's just like perfect. It's so good. I love it. So I want that, and then for dessert, the key lime pie from my local favorite pie place, but before they changed ownership and the recipe Mm. became not as good. So that's the one that would be a little bit harder. Yeah. (laughs) I have to go back in time for that or something. The magic of the signs meal is that you say what you want, and then there is a edit, and then the meal is done. There you go. (laughs) Whatever you get, you want. Yeah. So what about you, Mikey? What was yours? Mine, uh, I'm almost worried this isn't as disparate as I need it to be. I, of course, love a chicken cordon bleu. Ooh. You know what a chicken cordon bleu is, Roxy? They put cheese and ham in a chicken. Okay, yeah, and then that it's like rules. breaded, I think, also, Yeah, right? it's like a chicken patty on a bun with ham and cheese in the middle of it. <laughs> That's dope. I'm looking for angel hair Alfredo pasta. Oh, that sounds really good. I'm looking for uh, a big Coca-Cola. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Oh, I didn't even think uh, about then, drink choices, Mikey. Damn. Okay. Oh, yeah. I got two drink choices. Ooh, okay. To make up for it. I not only have a big Coca-Cola. For dessert, tiramisu. Ooh, tiramisu's always they good. soak lady fingers in coffee goo and uh-huh. give it to you. <laughs> I so like that. So tasty. Um, but then finally, my second drink. I just I just want a, a well bourbon. Okay. Like the Rots. perfect ideal bourbon? No, that's what they call the cheapest worst bourbon at the, oh, at the, is it? At the bar. Yeah, you're okay. just like, uh, the, the the well bourbon, whatever you have in the well, I think so it's is like just on tap. Have... I get another way to yeah, say on Yeah, tap. it's kind of, it's bourbon on tap. Okay. Because I don't know bourbon well enough to know what I like. So I'm okay. just like, whatever bourbon you have is fine. Bourbon on the rocks. It's slowly becoming my drink. I feel like a big cool man when I drink oh, it. Oh, okay. And that's what I want to drink before I have to be a big cool man who fights the aliens from signs. There you go, and it would give you all of the alien fighting energy (laughs) to fight them. (laughs) So last week we made a bet about the movie Signs, and the bet was how many times is the word signs, plural, like the title, said in the movie? I said two times. I said three. So the answer might surprise you because just the word sign doesn't count. It has to be signs. Uh, So the answer was five. Five. So there we go, Mikey. For a movie that talked about signs as much, uh, I mean, we didn't think there was going to be more. We actually said less than this, but yeah, it's a it's a big offender of the like stop or my mom will shoot problem where <laughs> the, <laughs> you need a scene in the movie where the character says stop or my mom will shoot because that's what you're going to put in the tra- in the trailer. Yeah, and the thing God is too, it. I bet if we just did the word singular, I felt like there was way more. Like when I was watching it, I was like, oh damn, mm-hmm. Mikey uh, and I like under guess so low, but no, we're so close and like. Yeah. Three is, actually, is not that far away from five, so I win this week, Mikey. You win. Roxy, that means that our current standings are Roxy with 41 points, Mikey with 29 points, Ty with four points. Ooh. Right. Now that we are without movie, that must be rectified with an appearance by the demon bot. And here he is, sliding in through the air vents? Oh. He must have been learning from the aliens in the movie signs with the coal shoot. We don't have a coal shoot down here, but air vents are close enough. Mikey and Roxy, you have successfully reviewed the movie Signs. For next week, you must review the 1960 Alfred Hitchcock classic, Psycho. Okay. All right, so Psycho, classic from uh, the the Alfred Hitchcock director. Yeah. 1960. The Alfred Hitchcock director. You know the guy. He's got the profile. We're going to work hard to keep our souls. 
Roxy, we got to make a bet for this movie for next week. Okay, let's do it. What do you think? What do you think the timestamp is of the famous shower scene? And we'll mark that clearly by the moment the water is turned on. Okay, because again, yeah, that's when it technically becomes a shower scene and not just a lady mm-hmm. undressing <laughs> sexily scene. <laughs> um, I'm going to say 35 minutes into the movie. All right, I'm going to hop above you. I'm going to say 40 minutes into the movie. Okay. I can't even remember how long this movie is in total, so who knows? (laughs) Yeah, uh, nobody knows that. Nobody knows. Nobody's ever known. So, Mikey, we've been talking about a lot of things that have been making us sad this week. Uh, Mm -hmm. So how about we talk about things that are making us happy this week? So, Mikey, what went on in your life outside of Scary Basement that made you happy this week? Mine actually was still kind of a scary thing. But what's making me happy this week was The Last of Us, the TV show. Oh, damn. Okay. I've been holding off on watching this, so I'm very excited to hear what you have to say about it. Yep, that's my plan to binge it. Uh, I watched the first episode and was, like, lukewarm on it. It was, like, almost a little too close to the video game, but still, like, okay, cool. like, shot for shot, even. Yeah. And it was a little uninteresting, and I don't know. I I never thought the intro to The Last of Us was that strong. Uh, thought it was uh hokey the episode the first episode is fine the second episode of this show like almost made me appreciate the last of us video game more oh wow okay like i remember so much of my thinking of the last of us is like yeah it's got a couple of cool little ideas but for the most part it's a stealth game it's a zombie game like we get it but like i don't know all of these details in the world this second episode is so, like, well-observed, and there are, like, interesting little shots of things that would have happened that, yeah. like, I don't believe are in the game. I, and even if they are, they're, like, beautifully observed in this second episode. Mm-hmm. It was incredible. It's, like, an incredible episode of TV, and I couldn't believe how much I loved it. So I'd say the way I've always felt about The Last of Us series, and, I mean, even Uncharted to an extent, um, is that it would just work better if it wasn't a video game, in a way. Yeah. Um, the way it engages with the player isn't as vital which i'm only gonna be talking about the first one uh in some way it does like when you are interacting with ellie and stuff she feels like you feel more protective of her and uh Mm -hmm. are more endeared towards her i'd say that is like the one effect that you get from it but other than that like it can just be a movie or a tv series like this right so i'm glad that they took that sentiment and just ran with it and like I love Pedro Pascal. I'll watch him in anything. So I'm even oh, yeah. more excited to uh, watch this TV series. Uh, that's how I feel about Anna Torv from Fringe, who plays Tess in The Last of Us. And is Oh, okay. Awesome. Interesting. I didn't even know she was in that. Okay. I didn't either. I was shocked to see her. Uh, what a cool. nice surprise then. Your friends from what Fringe are here. <laughs> it's like a friend is showing up to a party. Uh, and it was, uh, uh, what's her name from Fringe? I don't even remember her character's name. Uh, we're not good friends. I want to be clear about that. <laughs> Just like her work. You don't have to know her name, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Roxy, what's making you happy? Uh, so the thing that's making me happy this week is actually also a TV show. Yeah, TV's good. It's the uh, TV show Lucifer. So I was watching oh. it before it got canceled. Um, it got canceled on like network TV and then found a new home on Netflix. And I did like mm-hmm. several seasons, but it had been like so far out. I was like, okay. I'll just watch this later because I'm going to want to, like, pay attention to it. Like, lots of times how I will watch shows that I'm not super invested in is it'll be in the background while I'm working on things. Uh, Mm Because I can not be multitasking ever or I will go insane. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I was like, I know I'm going to want to pay attention to this, so I'll save it for later. Um, So I kind of forgot about it. And I was reminded of it recently, especially since Netflix is going to end password sharing in the dumbest move I've ever heard. Uh, since the dawn of time, maybe. Um, so I'm going to lose access to a lot of Netflix shows. So I was like, oh, man, I got to watch Lucifer before I don't have access to it. And it it's just so much fun. Like, it's a cop show. I'm always, like, kind of a sucker for those because they're, like, murder mysteries. They're kind of like a puzzle. They're trying to solve mm-hmm. a case every episode. Um, but then also there's, like, these supernatural elements to it. And all of the actors are having, like, such a fun time. And they're characters are so fucking exaggerated like he's literally lucifer from hell lucifer biblical (laughs) lucifer um that's devil yeah that's devil (laughs) you said it and it's got like this romance through line that is very like appealing and fun as well and it very much like drills down on its characters to kind of like interrogate them usually like every time there is a case it is somehow reflected in the problem lucifer is having that week or the weird emotional thing he's trying to work structure yeah, so it just feels very, like, tight and fun, um, 
And uh, now that I know it's concise and, like, ended, I have, like, the end of the show to look towards. And as far as I can tell, uh, they ended it on their own terms from whenever they wanted. So we'll get, like, a complete story. It won't be, like, so many shows that sadly get axed before they get to have an actual conclusion. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to finally wrap that up uh, and come full circle on that show. Yeah. No, what happens to our friend the devil? Exactly. I need to know what happens to my friend the devil. (laughs) Will he find love, Mikey? Will he find absolution? Will he know what it's I like to love? didn't realize how horned up I could be for the devil. You'd be surprised. Watch that show. He's uh, naked huh. quite a bit. He shows his butt quite, <laughs> quite frequently. <laughs> that rules. <laughs> all right, Mikey, it is time now for Haunted Plugs. First of all, make sure you follow Scary Basement on Twitter at scary underscore basement and on Instagram at scarybasementpod. Mikey, where can people find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter, at SecretBlimp, and you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash SecretBlimp. I am on Twitter as RedMageRoxy, and on Twitch as RedMageRoxy, where I stream three days a week, every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. Also, make sure to give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you're listening to podcasts. Also, leave a review. You know that helps us out. Oh, and one other way you can help us out. Check out the Patreon for our podcast network, Super NPC Radio. You can sign up at patreon.com slash supernpcradio where you'll get a bonus episode of Scary Basement every month called Press X to Scream, where we talk about horror video games. You'll also get years and years of content from the rest of the video game loving folks over there at Super NPC. So don't forget to share this podcast with your friends. And as always, do not sign any contracts offered to you by Demon Robots. See you next week. (laughs) 